Time now for the Urban Meyer Podcast. Coming up after him, we'll have Terry Bradshaw. We'll have a little information on Kyle Trask, Cassidy Hill on the SEC and the Gators, and Andy Billen on his picks of the week. But Coach Meyer is here with us for the feature podcasts, and he's got an interesting topic or two to talk about on Big Noon kickoff this weekend. Urban, good to talk to you again. You were just telling me a little bit about your topics for the show, and I found that one fascinating. Yeah, one of the things we're going to talk about, and it correlates with the Ohio State-Indiana game because Ohio State, they have an elite player in Garrett Wilson happens to be a receiver. And one of the jobs that I learned at as, as a very young age when I was actually the receiver coach at Notre Dame, one of my best players was really upset after a loss. And he was upset that we lost, but he was even more upset that he didn't feel like he helped our team win because he didn't touch the ball the entire day. And that was one of those defining moments of my career. Where I said, I will never, ever let that happen again, that I'm going to make sure the best players touch the ball. And it's easy when your best player is a quarterback or a running back because the quarterback touches the ball every snap. The running back, you can turn around and hand it to him. Receiver, if you just rely on the throw game, a lot of times that gets very complicated and defenses don't allow you to give them the ball because they double them or you know the ball gets tipped or whatever. So Percy Harvin was one of the first guys that we really you know, showed the country. You take a receiver and you teach him how to you know, run the ball. You teach him how to run certain plays because it'd be a it's a crime if Percy Harvin had touched that ball 10 times a game well it's amazing what goes on the sideline and coaches do get lost there's so much confusion and substitution and rules and this and that and I know that last week Florida had a situation where their tight end Camor Gamble uh, who, who didn't touch a ball but played terrific and his backup uh, zipper had three targets and caught two touchdown passes. So you never know how this will work out. But I think that's a smart idea when you've got a list where you know, especially with an offense that you had, which was based on getting the ball to athletes in space. Right. And, and Dan's ex- excellent at it. But like you said, it's so chaotic on a sideline that you have to have. And I, I would actually sit on Saturday mornings. One of my routines was, to sit from the, and it's very fluid. You know, whoever has the best week of practice, and I would tell our players this, you have to have a great week of practice, and when you get the opportunity to the game, you take advantage of it. So every Saturday morning, I'd get up first thing, and I'd grab my manila folder, and I would write the names of, you know, whether it be a Chris Rainey, a Jeff Demps, a Percy Harvin, a Dallas Baker, Bubba Caldwell, whoever it may be, that was my job. I took that sole responsibility to say, this guy has to touch the ball this many times. Urban's hit list, that's for sure. <clears throat> you want to be on that one. Uh, I, you mentioned Indiana. What a story they are. And I was looking up Tom Allen today. I didn't know he was from Tampa uh, and that he, he coached high school, Armwood down there and, and in South Florida, et cetera. What a success story he's got going on at IU. And suddenly you got a top 10 game between Ohio State and Indiana. Well, Tom Allen is a guy that I, I have a tremendous respect for him as uh, do all Big Ten coaches. He was a guy that uh, Kevin Wilson hired to run his defense in 2016. And I remember, you know, I would have my assistant or graduate assistant always give me a list of who they hire, and I just wanted to know about the guy, what his background is. And I, I saw a background that was just okay, small schools, like you said, from a high school, and then also came from South Florida. But instantaneously, you saw a change in the defense. You saw the energy. Uh, 
I just watched the guy and I'd be actually got to know him and coach against him for a few years when I was the head coach at Iowa state. And we're actually going to do this uh, buddy on big new kickoff as well. We're going to do a little, the fictitious coaches manual. Mm. It's there really wasn't done. doesn't want to exist, but if there was one in my strong opinion that the first page of the coaches manual, there's got to be two rules. Number one is be real. R E A L. That means be yourself. Don't try to be someone else. All the great coaches I've ever been around, you know, they're real. They don't, they don't try to appease the media. They don't try to appease fans. They're themselves. Um, and cause players, that's never been more important for a player that a player knows you're real. And number two is always put players first. And when you see Ryan day and you see, uh, Ryan day, you see, uh, Tom Allen, who was our game of the week, uh, both those coaches, it's always about the player. You know, it's not about the coach. Some programs you can see it's always about the coach and ultimately that they fail. Because players at some point are going to be like, enough. You know, that's we're the ones doing the work. This is always about the player. And Tom Allen is always about the player. I think that's why he's got so much respect in the coaching community and amongst his team. And you look at his background, and, man, you talk about small schools, Wabash, Lambeth, I don't even know where that is even, uh, and Drake, then Arkansas State, et cetera. So he's paid his dues. And obviously he's been successful, so you, you like to see a guy get a chance like that, an opportunity. And now we've got a top-10 game with the Buckeyes uh, and the Hoosiers, which would be interesting, something that the Big Ten could use a little out right now, a little bit more juice. You said some time ago that when someone asked you the biggest obstacle for a team or whatever, and you said the biggest obstacle is COVID-19. And here it raises this ugly head again. We have another cancellation. Uh, Michigan State, Maryland. I think it's 15 they got so far. And we're not through this broadcast by the time we get on the air, maybe more. But I heard someone say the other day, you just have to play it. And I think it was Dan. I think he just said, you just have to play until you can't play. And some people liken it to a game that was postponed by weather or or maybe of lightning or whatever, maybe, and you never make it up. So this is, I think you mentioned, you got to power through this. The team that's really in your friend, uh, Pete Indelicato, who I talked to last week, and we talked about having to be adaptable. And I asked him if the Florida Gators were adaptable. He said, absolutely. Yeah, I think, you you know, the old adage, you can control what you can control. And I really believe Greg Sankey was the model. You know, the, yeah, that you can be critical and say, well, you had to cancel some games. Well, what's the alternative? Sit at home? Let players just sit at home and what play video games all day. To me, I, I'm just very opposed to shutting down the world. I, I you know, yes, you got to health and safety is absolutely the premium on, on every human being, but it's also reality that the student athletes are in a much safer environment in the confines of their facility. They get tested constantly. There's great awareness of, you know, wearing a mask, doing the right things, social distancing, so, yeah, I think it's absolutely – you have to adapt. Is something going to happen along the journey? Yeah. But once again, the alternative to go grab your bag and sit in your house or sit in your apartment or go home, and that's not an alternative. That, that's uh, – and, and I think Greg Sankey was the guy. That, that's why I have so much respect for him that he said, no, we're going to play. Does that mean there might be cancellation? Sure, we're going to adapt. And that's what you're seeing across the country. So, yeah, I don't – it, it, it kind of upsets me when I hear someone be critical and say, why are they playing football? What do you mean why are they playing football? because they should be playing football because the doctors say they're allowed to play football. What, what, you know, I, I don't understand that other mindset. And there's a lot of 
parents have told me and, and, and former coaches whose sons are playing, I'd rather my son be right there. And, of course, you've got one in native Cincinnati. He's in better shape there than being home and safer. So that's another aspect of it, right? And we, all, and we go back to it's free will. If you don't want him to play, don't play. Uh, you know, that's the whole point, that we're human beings. We have the God gave us the right to make decisions. Yeah, if I didn't feel Nate was safe at Cincinnati, I'd pull him out. I happen to not think I know because I'm on the inside. It's much safer at the University of Cincinnati it is. And, and plus, he's around people. He's developing. He's training. He's working. He's doing all the things. Young people, in my opinion, I feel very strong about. That's what they should be doing. Cincinnati having quite a year. It's going to be fun to watch. Uh, let me talk about something you've never experienced, okay? You're one of the fortunate ones. And I say that somewhat facetiously, but there's always this coaching hot seat we hear about, right? Guys that got to produce, and sometimes it's made up by the media, and sometimes it's real. And Will Muschamp had a real one, and he paid for it with his job. And now there are others on that, including Jim Harbaugh of the Wolverines, etc. So what does a coach do except coach own must champ. I mean, he had his opportunities, uh, whether you like him or whatever, he's been a pretty good defensive coordinator, but, uh, you sooner or later, as you know, you got to get it done. You've never had to have that hot seat. Have you? Uh, uh, I, I had one in my own mind, you know, I was always on the hot seat, you know, working at a place like university of Florida, a guy named Steve Spurrier made every time he played Georgia, I mean, just sitting in the Sawgrass Hotel thinking I'm on the hot seat every damn game because you can't lose that game. So I never, I don't know if I officially was on some hot seat, but in my own mindset, you know, I, I coached every day as if I was. So um, yeah, I, I don't know if I really was, but I always approached it that way. Uh, so they called you Captain Emergency because <laughs> you yeah. always had one. Yeah. So, all right, so let's talk about the remarkable season uh, of Kyle Trask. And by the way, we're going to see a little bit different uh, song this weekend because Justin Fields is going to have his chance. And I believe Lawrence is playing for Clemson against a bad Florida State team. But let's talk about the remarkable season that Trask has had, again, coming back with six more touchdown passes against not a real great Arkansas team, but his consistency. And you always talk about you liking consistency in players. And this guy's consistency, he's gone now to 28 touchdown passes, six in each of the last two games. And he's topped all the quarterbacks in the league with six straight games of four or more touchdowns. And suddenly, Urban, a guy who couldn't get arrested or even started in high school, is listed as the favorite in Vegas. And many of the mock drafts have him moved up to some of their top 15. Man, all of a sudden, Kyle Trask is a hot ticket. He sure is, and, and my understanding is even better person, which makes, you know, that's so good for college football. And, and what a journey. I can't wait to read his book someday. You know, his, his background, um, I studied him big time last spring, you know, and my comments to you and other people was, boy, this guy's good. But there's a big difference between good and being great. And number one quality of being great at a quarterback position is do you win? And we could have this conversation. He can throw for 250 touchdowns in my mind. If he can't beat Georgia – you're not a great quarterback. And so he is officially in the great category now, but he's got to keep it going. He's got to keep winning. So I am so impressed by that guy more than anything, because I'm not a big, I do believe in stats, but that's not the final say. So the fact is he's winning games and he's winning games uh, with everyone's play around him seems to be elevated. So that's a sign to me of a really, really good quarterback. 
Well, he certainly is that. And now the mock drafts have moved him up to where he's like a top 10, 15 player. Now, in fairness to, to COVID, uh, to Trevor Lawrence, who's had COVID, we'll see what he dials up. And, of course, we, we already know about Justin Fields. So this is a moving target. I take you back to 2007 when a guy named Tim Tebow, who was only a sophomore, people said he can't win the Heisman. He's a sophomore. When he goes to Columbia, South Carolina, and, and reels off seven touchdowns running or passing, which got him in the headlines. But you know what it took? It took the injury to Marcus Mariota for him to get that trophy. So sometimes in the in the Heisman, it's things that fall around you, you know, that give you the opportunity. And it seems like this has happened for Trask. Uh, the other guy's not being able to play when he did. So it's all, a certain amount of, obviously, chance. But, boy, you like to see a guy who's delivered uh, do it. And I'm sure Justin Fields has some of that in him, and you could speak to that. Yeah, Justin Fields, uh, the Buckeyes have not played very good teams, you know, and that's hard to say because Penn State normally is a great team. Uh, and they played Nebraska that's really struggled. Uh, Rutgers has struggled. And I think between all of them, maybe they have one win. So this will be a good challenge for him. You know, we didn't have the – usually you have one big-time non-conference game where you can see a player perform, but we weren't able to. This is where Trask has the advantage. You know, he's played against some really good teams. You know, he's playing in a tougher conference. And that's where I look at, you know, I, I don't just, once again, I'm not, I, I am a stat guy, but that stats don't say it all. You always look at winning number one and then who you play number two. And that's where Kyle Trask to me is that, you know, I don't see necessarily ahead of Justin Fields and Heisman because that's, we don't have to make that decision yet. But I'm glad they moved the Heisman way back because it used to people used to vote for Heisman Trophy winners before rivalry games, before playoffs, before Big Ten chip, before conference championships, which I'm opposed to. They should vote at the end of the year after they played their best opponents. And to me, that's where Kyle Trask is so impressive right now. The Heisman people announced they're going to have the finals in January, so we'll know. And they're not going to have it in New York; they're going to have it in individual schools. So that'll be interesting. You know, by the way, your friend Steve Spurrier. He didn't go to New York. There was no going to New York. He actually got a notice from Norm Carlson that he needed that the that the president or the coach at the athletic director is going to call him, and they told him he won the Heisman. That was before he played Miami, by the way, his last game, and of course he lost to Miami. So it was a totally different thing back then, and this whole thing is manufactured around it, the hype, which makes it so great. Uh, a lot of things do change. So we'll see how that works out. we still got a long way to go. Things can happen as we've seen in the past. Let me talk to you about uh, this Final Four race. It's, uh, you know, it it's could change uh, uh, some now, but who do you have up in your Final Four? I know you had Florida at one time. I'm sure you've got, uh, you know, the Buckeyes, and I'm sure you've got Notre Dame probably, and and you and, you, and I don't know if you got Clemson or not, but you got Ohio State and you got Alabama. Is that about right? Yeah, we just did it for our Fox show, and I'd put Alabama 1, Ohio State 2, Notre Dame 3, and Florida 4. And Florida, you know, the 4, really, it's the the Clemson is the next one in. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than that, you know, I just don't I don't see a Big 12 team. I don't see enough from the Pac-12 yet. Uh, the Big 10, no, other than Ohio State. You know, you have North Carolina screwing around there, but they, I just don't know if they're a top team, so... Uh, right now, it's down to five teams, but the fifth team out right now is Clemson. That's just because they lost to Notre Dame, and they'll get another shot at Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some people say it could be two SEC and two, uh, two ACC. When I see Ohio State 
getting in there with no problem if they win the rest of the way. So they're certainly the best other team out there. Uh, and one of those ACC teams has got to get knocked off, as you say. And that will be the end of that. Uh, we've uh, – I got to – this is kind of an early ask, Urban, but this is a letter, a note. A friend of mine posted uh, out on, on, his, on his Facebook page. He works in a college football environment out in Dallas, a very knowledgeable fan. And, I, and I'm going to read you something. I hope you don't take offense to it. I don't think he means it that way. But I think it's interesting. He said, Urban Meyer was asked Saturday morning on the Fox pregame show about teams that struggle. And his advice was to, quote, check under the hood. So I listened to this four times. It still sounded like some kind of abstract word salad. So I transcribed it. I can't say I have a clue as to what the actual point is he's making here. He's perhaps the greatest college football coach of his generation. Can someone please enlighten me? Well, I said, maybe we can get Urban Meyer to. When you talked about it, checking under the hood, you went through the discussion. And I think I understand it, but apparently my friend Ted in Dallas does not. Yeah, checking under the hood where is um, the fact that you're not allowed to make excuses and blame players. The number one excuse coaches make or they blame players or fans will blame players. And I just had a rule when I was a head coach that, you know, I, I used to tell people, I'll warn you once the second time you have to leave. And that means that if you can play them, say it's a player's fault, you know, first of all, it's not right. Cause the players, it, it's never more evident, buddy. I always tell people in the NFL, when you see a, a certain team and a national football team, football league struggle, the fans, well, they got bad players. He's a bad player. What are you out of your mind? He's an NFL football player. That's mean he's one of the best in the world at what he does. Now he might not be playing well and great leaders, great coaches have to be experts at cause and effect. That means it doesn't take any energy to say that player is not playing well. It takes energy and coaching to figure out why. And I always put it into three categories. Why, you know, the conversation I had on television was why a team is not playing well. And they fought, and this is not, you know, this is not theory. This is, 35 years of testimony. I've come up with a, there are three categories that why teams struggle. Number one is there's a trust issue, a trust issue between coach to player, player to coach, or the worst case is player to player. There's a trust issue in an organization. Number two, it's a dysfunctional work environment. That means that the work ethic does not equal up to the expectation level. There's high expectations, but you don't work hard. The coaches don't work hard. The players don't work hard. And that leads to an environment of frustration, anger, and disappointment. It's a dysfunctional work environment. And then number three, you got a selfish team. The I is more important than we. Uh, individual goals are more important than team goals. So when you as a fan, you as a coach, you sit and say, okay, our team is not playing well. There's certain teams in college football not playing well right now. And I can promise you it's not because they have bad players. It's because there's one of those three reasons. So that's what I meant by that. Well, the transparency of coaches who will tell you, and unfortunately, many coaches are on these pedestals where people think they can make no wrong decisions. And the fact is, just like Coach Spurrier was saying a couple of weeks ago, sometimes we pick the wrong players. We don't always know. You know. Like you said earlier, sometimes you forget to get the ball to the right to your playmakers. They're human. They make mistakes and things happen. But I think what you're talking about is attitude here. And framing it and talking about, you know, take your responsibility. Uh, you know, uh, you got to be able to trust each other. I hear you say it a lot. You got to trust each other. Uh, 
and then the so-called dysfunctional work environment, that sounds like a coaching issue to me, but I would just guess that in the environment they work in. So checking under the hood is a lot of things. Most of all, it's like making your team stronger and bond stronger and communication, I think. Am I right? Yeah, it's just the fact is a, a team is a living organism. And it takes no, I, I you know, I, I've heard it over the years and I, I won't put up with it when I was a coach is that you make excuses. You know, you need to be a psychologist. This is about human behavior and human performance. That's what a coach does. And it takes no effort to say, well, that kid's not good enough. You know, I, that, first of all, that's a really bad coach in my mind. If I ever, you know, when I hear, you know, a fan saying it because they don't really know the ins and outs of the organization. But when I hear a coach say, you know, or even when a coach takes over a program and says, well, you know, these aren't my players or there are problems here, you know, quit making excuses, man. It's your team. You know, there, there's one way to find out if your team plays well or not. Look at the scoreboard at the end of the game. That's the bottom line. Don't make excuses. Coaches that make excuses, to me, are not good coaches. Before we get into the last part of this, the Ask Urban, I wanted to talk about you and your demeanor and watching you on the show and ask you, uh, you look like you're really having fun and you're enjoying life. Uh, you look like you're, you're enjoying what you're doing there. I know coaching is in the back of your mind. It will always be because there's always somebody that wants to hire Urban Meyer. Every opening that comes up, everybody says, call Urban Meyer. Well, number one, do you get those calls? Number two, how do you handle them? And number three, what makes you so happy about being on the Fox show? Well, we'll skip one and two. Uh, number three is I, I really enjoy my teammates. You know, I've taken that. Uh, I take it very serious. You know, I think we have an opportunity to uh, make a difference and give some really good content and educate people on the great game of college football and really teams. And uh, they put me with an incredible cast of Reggie Bush, Matt Liner, Brady Quinn, and Rob Stone, and they treat us good. So I really enjoy it. I also enjoy the fact that uh, my focus is really, you know, it's really hard to have focus. And it's well documented when you, you know, I have two grandkids, I have a wonderful family that we are as close as you can imagine and a 31-year marriage that is so important to me. So I've really focused on that, and I'm uh, very happy right now. Looks like it. I can tell. All right, you ready for the final um, episode of do our Q&A, Ask Urban? Sure. These are easy. Julie from Green Bay, what are your thoughts on Coach Harbaugh? Do you think he'll be back in Ann Arbor in 2021? Oh, I don't know about that. I, I think he's, you know, this is not a one-stop uh, one shop for Coach Harbaugh. He's had great success. And one of the reasons I had great admiration for him is he started at San Diego, then he went to Stanford, then he went to the pros, and then he went to Ann Arbor. And he won at all levels. Now, obviously, uh, they have not hit the expectation level of a, a top-ten program like uh, the Wolverines. So, uh, I don't know about the, you know, that's, I don't even want to comment on that, but to say that he's not a quality coach, that's not fair. Uh, once again, he's got to, you know, look under the hood and if he fixes what's under the hood, then he'll survive. If not, you know, it's a tough world out there. And I don't know that I certainly, you know, my comment is not important on that. Well, I think you gave a good one. Look under the hood is a very good one. John from Gainesville. I hear people refer to an uncle Hiram that used to work with you when you coached the Gators. Who is he, and did he go with you to Ohio State? 
Yeah, Hiram, Uncle Hiram is Hiram DeFries. He was a, a lawyer and a very successful businessman and Polynesian uh, background. He's Hawaiian. And when I became dear friends with him over the years, he's a family friend and uh, coached high school football as well. And we always talked about when he retired, he wanted to his genuine care for young people and life after football. So he's one of the original uh, people that helped me start the Real Life Wednesdays program. That's the po- that's the teaching people to and prepare them for, for fiscal responsibility to how to interview for jobs, shadow job internships, so they can have a very uh, purpose driven life once they're done playing football. And, and Hiram was a different is a difference maker. And when I hired him at Utah, he, we changed the whole culture uh, of how Polynesians were thought of the Polynesian community when getting guys jobs and opportunities for life after football. So he's a one of my dear friends and one of the greatest people I've ever met. Good man, friend of mine. I'm proud to count him on my friends. All right, got time for two more. One is sure. Ar- Armando Armando from Enid, Oklahoma. What are the five best coaching jobs in America? And is OU one of them? I certainly believe OU is one of them. You know, I, I'm not going to give you the five. I'll give you because that will create too many headlines, and and I have to spend more time on it. But I, you know, in the SEC, you got. Uh, you know, I think the top jobs are LSU, Alabama, Florida, and Georgia in the, the Southeastern Conference. In the Big Ten, the top four to me are Penn State, the Wolverines, Ohio State, and Wisconsin. And then you move out west. It's uh, uh, Oregon, USC um, are the two top, and Washington are the jobs, top jobs in the Pac-12, and the Big 12. You got Texas and you got Oklahoma. So that's, I know he gave you many more than five. That's a good list. That's a good list for sure. Finally, this is one that's going to be hard too. But anyway, Jim from Tulsa says, "Who are the top coaches right now in college football?" Well, we know one in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, it's uh, championships, and number one would have to be Nick Saban. Number two would be um, Dabo Sweeney, and then Ed Ogeron has won a national title. I think that elevates him immediately to one of the top coaches. Um, now, guys that are on the rise are Dan Mullen, Ryan Day. You know, they haven't won the national title, but they're you just didn't tell the way they operate their programs. Um, I think Kirby Smart's right there. What he's done with Georgia, you know, he's got to finish the deal now to get to the top top. And uh, and then Lincoln Riley, I think he's proven that he's you know he's just he hasn't won a championship yet, but he's, he's been right there. So I'd have to off the top of my head, those are the top guys. Imagine the amount of wealth in that group he just mentioned. There's a lot. Talk about a group of people. Urban, thanks so much, Coach Urban Meyer. Don't forget to watch him on Big Ten Kickoff this weekend. Uh, enjoy it. Talk to you next week, Coach. Thanks. Take care, buddy. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Exactly life sucks as a grown-up.
All right. All you right. think that was good enough? I, I hope so, man. I'm tired. <laughs> Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I, I, I've never done it. <laughs> right. We're doing the Perry Bradshaw podcast. He's back up to go on a trip, promoting his Bradshaw bourbon, and his dog just yeah. beat on his guitar. And here's yeah. Terry Bradshaw. Here's <laughs> Terry. <laughs> We should call this the ADD podcast. I know, man. I know. Between you and me. All right, TB, back to the subject of football. Congratulations on the new contract. Uh, I'd like to get back to trash because you made some very astute, not a word you hear very often, astute comments last week on Trask and how he throws the football. And I went back and listened to last week's podcast about it. And not to bore the people with, you know, fundamentals of throwing a football. Right. But I think it's it important because too. if you see him throw, and the one thing people say, a receivers especially, three, he throws a great That's ball. Right. And you had the quote, you said, yeah. he throws a gorgeous ball is what you said. Yeah. And we talked yeah. about how and why and the fundamentals. And you explained something to me as an old quarterback back in the days when I wore a leather helmet. Uh, trying to throw yeah. the ball, that if we put the nose of the ball up, you know, it's an easier ball to catch, which I thought was really right. a, a good observation. Here's what, yeah, what it's like is airlines on an airplane wing when they put them down to grab wind, mm. and it's and the nose of the airplane lifts off the ground faster. If you didn't have the airlines down, uh, chances are uh, the plane would. <laughs> It would it would go forever before it get airborne because you got to have something to grab the wind to tilt the nose of the plane. Same thing with a football. The, the, the if you release the football with the nose up, uh, most kids palm the football. I threw the football with with my fingers. Um, you can make you can throw a prettier ball palming it. As a matter of fact, I will say this: if I came back today. I would palm the football. I wouldn't grab it. I would work. Uh, I work on throwing the football without my finger on the tip of the ball. I would drop my fingers down two two inches at least and palm it. Um, but when you palm a football and hold it, it automatically the nose automatically points down, and so therefore you've got to have the cup of your hand releasing upwards to get the nose of the ball to release upwards instead of down and when you release it with the nose up the ball gets air and the ball sails prettier it sails and also sails and you can throw it farther and it'll turn over into the wind faster in other words the nose of the ball will go up and then it'll turn down uh into the wind whereas if you if you turn the ball release it with the nose down the wind to grab the nose of the ball a lot of time and it'll push the ball down. So it's, 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 easy. it's, there's only a couple of ways really to grip a football. Three, if you want to count, not putting your fingers on the laces. Uh, and then it's fingers and it's palm. And the other thing is the release. How do you release it? Do you have a shoulder release? Do you, are you a wrist passer? Do you snap it off? And, you know, and I think there's a combination of looking. If you look at Tom Brady, he holds the ball down right above his waist and he steps with his left leg to his target and he releases the ball. He brings it up and his shoulder pushes it out. Now the hand 
there's always going to be a slight rotation of the hand. Um, but when he's doing that, he's got his eyes on his target and he doesn't have to worry about where the ball is. And he steps with his left leg and he releases high. When you release the, with the elbow high, you're more accurate. And I think that's one of the keys to Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, is they're you know, three-quarter to high ball releasers. Trask is similar. Uh, I've watched him not as closely as I want to. If I could watch him spend some time watching him, and uh, I'd be able to understand exactly how he does throw it. But I'm sad he throws a beautiful football. And those long balls, it really turns nice. It's got great spin, or what they like to say, rotation. And he just throws a beautiful ball. I know he can gun it. And a lot of people may say, well, he doesn't have a strong enough arm. Oh, yeah, he does. If you're playing Division One football, you've got a strong enough arm. And uh, he just has to. Sorry about that. That's the dog. But he... He seems to have all the throws, and he's just getting obviously. Obviously, I thought Arkansas would play him a lot tougher than they did. But he's obviously having an incredible year. So interesting. I my hat to it. Hmm. Aerodynamics of throwing the football is something mm-hmm. uh, you get. You get almost scientific about it, and I love talking about it because I know. Yeah, it's, but it's boring, and I know no, it's not. Know it's not boring there. to me. It's interesting. I'll tell you the story. But if I were, if I were in, if I were with you, and, yeah. and I would show you, I yeah. would explain it, and you would say, "Oh, okay," but it's not hard to release the ball with the nose up. Mm. It really isn't. No, and you'll be surprised at how. How better the ball travels. Which one of that? What, who's that barking? Is that Max barking there? Who is that? No, that's Annie. Uh, no, that's a Hoodie Baby. Hoodie Baby. I, I said I said Max again. And here he comes running. Don't <laughs> you go pee on something else? Go pee on her purse. <laughs> He's got a shock collar on. I don't want Pete after us, but oh my goodness um, gracious! He's tearing everything up, so we're he's disrupting his this mean, brilliant oh, dissertation on the science of throwing a football. You know, my goodness! I know he's messing it up. But yeah, yeah. I probably, I probably could do a um, video. I could do a video, yeah. but my you know elbow, I can't. I can't throw the football. Well, you do throw so. the football around the parking lot. And this is the thing I want to talk yeah. to you about. You're always well, throwing you the what, ball. Buddy. I know. And uh, <laughs> Kyle Trask is a gym rat of a quarterback. His dad, yeah. Michael, told me the story that uh, this is interesting. They go on. They went on a couple of long trips when he was younger. He and his brother, and when they stopped for gas, he and his brother got out in the parking lot and threw the ball every throw time the ball. they got a chance. And it's just like, I oh, got to get my great. hands on the ball. I got to throw the ball. Yeah. There's something about these guys. They just got to be throwing something, and you're kind of one of them. I was. Growing up, I just lived with the football in my hand. Lived with it. I mean, it was such a passion uh, to teach myself how to grip it, how to throw it. I remember the first time it spiraled. I was living in Iowa, and I was in the sixth grade, fifth grade, fifth grade. And it was in the wintertime, and Santa Claus brought me a football, and I could not believe it. And I had nobody to play catch. It, was, I, it I don't know how cold it was, but let's just say it was in the teens and I went outside and just started throwing it up in the air, throwing it up in the air and catching it myself. 
and uh, I just kept it, in, you know, in my room. When it would start to bloat and get big, as the weeks went by, I would get cordovan polish um, and polish it up so it would stay, you know, the tan color. And when the laces cracked and popped apart, I got a clothes hanger and took t- uh, strings out of my tennis shoes and re- <laughs> relaced it. <laughs> I even punted a ball once. You ready for this? I know this sounds absolutely, you know, come on. I, I actually, when I, you know, I was a punter in high school and back up college and pros. And so I'd punt in the backyard and this ball just kept getting bigger and <laughs> bigger and bigger. And we had any money. I couldn't go get a new one. And I punted this thing, buddy, and it blew up. The ball <laughs> blew up. <laughs> I, I mean, you're talking about shock. Hey, listen, it blew. As soon as it left my foot, it blew up. <laughs> Scared me to death. I got a new ball then. But uh, you heard the old story about quarterbacks and throwing at the swing sets. Well, I did all of that roll right, roll left. Mm. And uh, go between the the swings, throw between the the rails, throw between the things that hold the seats on it, and just throw it and throw it and throw it and throw it until it became you know basically you know what it has to be second nature. You throw to a tire at all, Terry? I did. Um, I did throw through a tire. Uh, I didn't find that to be that difficult. The fun part for me. <clears throat> was to put markers in the garden that my dad had, big, big markers. And I would be, it'd be probably 30 yards, and, and I'd practice rolling right and rolling left and dropping it, having it rainbow in and hit the markers. That was hmm. that was fun. But when you got nobody to play catch with, that's what you do. You make it work, you know. Or and, or Terry so or Terry, your girlfriend catches a ball. Or in the case of the one of the drivers, he was from Florida. He just talked about how his mom threw him the ball a hundred times a day and still throws it to him and says wow. she's got a heck. Justin Shorter, transfer from Penn State, told the story yeah. about how his mother moved down from Jersey recently and still during the quarantine threw the ball and says she's got a gun for an arm and she goes throws wow. him a, like a hundred balls. So you hear these stories all the time about having nobody to play catch with, and sometimes the girlfriend yeah, well, that, or the mom yeah. have to fill in. And you would have gladly taken yeah. uh, your girlfriend or your mom if they would have gone out and listen. I've caught, I've played catch with you in your backyard yeah. in Dallas, and I, my hand stung. It hurt. <laughs> and well, it's hard to find somebody who can catch the ball, right? I don't. Um, it was for some reason. For some reason, I had an older brother, but he didn't care anything about mm. sports. Uh, I couldn't even talk him into play and catch. Uh, just, he had no interest. Mm. There were no neighborhood kids to speak of, or, in, or none that I liked. And so, you know, you're kind of, you're kind of isolated. Mm. So what do you do? You create, you create the, you create the, the other end where you're throwing it. You create it. I used to play. I, when I was in high school, junior, in high school, uh, I, would, I wasn't the starter till my senior year. So I had a guy named Tommy Spinks, who was my best friend, and we would go up um, on the weekends to the high school, and we'd start at the goal line, and I'd call plays, and uh, we'd throw the ball up and down 
we create situations and uh, we do two minute drill and we throw the football. I'm not exaggerating. We probably throw the football three hours uh, easily. And uh, I mean, we both just loved it. And we just sit there and throw it and throw it. Yeah. But that's, that's what it takes. I mean, doesn't mean you're going to go into the NFL or even get a college scholarship, but does mean that you're putting in the work and to, you know, to hone your craft and hopefully, you know, hopefully you can, can play under pressure and get noticed and, and, and be the quarterback in high school and, or wherever throwing it's one thing. And then the next thing is taking snaps and dropping back and learning how to do that and how to stand in a pocket when people are coming at you. And, you know, it's all part of the development. And, uh, once you get used to it, you know, then it's, you know, you don't worry about it or you shouldn't. You in fact told me it's by the way, it's hard for people to believe that the great Terry Bradshaw didn't start till he was a senior and actually got cut from right. the team when he was in the eighth or ninth grade, which is unbelievable. Right. Like you and Michael Jordan have yep. that in common. But the one story I always enjoyed was when you <laughs> laid in the bed at nighttime and there was this thump, 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 and yep. it was thump, and you had thump. brown spots on the ceiling because you were throwing the ball well, I put to yourself. Polish on the ball. And my and I'd lay there, and the street lights lit up my bedroom enough where I could see the ball. Plus, the ball had white had a white circle around each end, and so I'd lay there and play these games with the football in my hand and just throw it, throw it, throw it, throw it. And the whole idea was trying to see how close I could get to the ceiling. But when I'd hit it, it thumped. And after a while, my dad, who had to get up early to go to work, would holler at me and uh, threaten me, and I'd wait till I knew he was asleep and. I'd start all over again. <laughs> <laughs> the loneliness of a passer, and and by the way, this I is yeah, this is the this is the Kyle Trask story too, which I think is so great. Because and just one more story about him before we switch gears. Boy, I've enjoyed this. Uh, the, the, the one of the things that came about to me, the reason I was able to finally understand Trask's talent, I was too stupid to see it, but uh, my friend Lee McGriff who broadcast the Gator Radio Network, uh, played at Florida uh, and uh, was an all-SEC receiver, spent a year or two in the NFL, uh, broadcast, coached at Florida, knows the game, uh, told me a long time ago, two years ago, before Trash was starting, that Florida had a quarterback who could throw the ball better than anybody. I don't get to see practice. I don't know that. And we don't know that. And he kept telling yeah. me about this guy, Kyle Trask. Well, here's the story right. I love. And this is the receiver side of it. You had these kind of guys because you had the great, probably as good of receivers on one team as anybody ever had in the NFL, Swan Stallworth, et cetera. But he was broadcasting the game last year when Trask uh, threw a beautiful post route. I think it's to Freddie Swain who went up and caught it. And on the air, Lee burst out what I wouldn't give to catch a ball like that. Mm-hmm. And that is an indicator mm-hmm. to me that when a receiver is telling you, man, that was a sweet yeah. pass, sweet touch, you know you right. got something going on there. So when you said last week, Trash throws a gorgeous ball, you were talking about that and the aerodynamics of it and how he does it, et cetera. So interesting to us, right. probably boring to everybody else, but I'd love talking about it. So. Well, yeah, I would, I, yeah, it, look, when you start, when you start 
aerodynamics and so on and so forth. You can, your viewers, your listeners can, 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 can tune us out. I, I don't say that I blame them either. Uh, but the kid is, and people will say, well, is he the real deal? Well, why isn't he the real deal? Uh, there's no, why just cause he tried out at Florida or walked on or didn't start in high school. I mean, people develop in stages. There are kids yeah. that I went to school with in junior high who were far superior to me, and then I blew by them, you know, uh, as time evolved. And that's, and Trask is no exception to that. His development obviously was slower than everybody else's. Body's getting bigger, he's getting stronger, um, and he's learning the college game, he's understanding defenses. And then all of a sudden, Franks is hurt and and clicks. Goes out there and everything that he thought he could do, he did. Mm. And now we're sitting here talking about him mm. as a Heisman hopeful, you know. So, I mean, we're not there. We can't see it. It's like when they started Tua at Miami. Mm. Everybody's with Fitzpatrick. Yeah, but Fitz, you know, Fitzpatrick, as great as he was playing – everybody's waiting on him to have that game where he throws four or five picks. And, but everybody was saying in practice, in the meetings, in the locker room, this kid has it. And so when they started him, there was some mumbling. Now there isn't, you know, now they, now we all get, all right, this is what they were talking. This is what they're seeing in practice. Um, Kyler Murray, you know, I said on the air, he throws a great deep ball. That deep ball he threw the Hail Mary was, you know, was a was a wobbling duck, but he did it going to the left. He avoided getting sacked when he sprinted out. And what does he do? He throws a great deep ball, and he has, as I say, the it factor. He just, for some reason, man, you know, people respond to him. And Trask is no different. He has that it factor that things happen. Joe Burrow, things happen. They just click, and no, there's no. There's no explanation. There's no, why didn't we see this? There is no, why didn't we see it? It happened when it was supposed to happen. And the other time it wouldn't have happened. So enjoy it. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Unfortunately, we've got a pandemic going on, but enjoy it. It's good. It is good. And that's what uh, people are saying now. Enjoy what you're seeing. And this is what Lee McGriff said yeah. last week. He said, I just got to tell you right now that if Trask continues on, like he's been doing and Lee's seen them all, he said in this pace, what are you doing? His words were, you're looking at the greatest quarterback in the history of Florida football. That is a huge statement for Lee and anybody. So we'll see where it goes. But one bad thing back to you, Perry, I wanted to say is that you're so correct in getting the ball to the receiver however you have to get it. Forget all the great arm right. strength and the touch. Getting the ball, make, making, the, making the throw that the receiver can get, that is the game, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean – you know, football is, well, he, this is our best receiver. We've got to get him the ball. Well, if you're just trying to get him the ball, <laughs> you know, people can take your best receiver out. So you better have a, you better have four more options. You know, five people can catch a ball on any given down. So you have to have options and you have to be coached properly and reading coverages and 
where the weaknesses are set according to the, the formations you set out there. And all of that's part. Joe Burrows, when Brady, um, um, Joe, who's opposite coordinator at Carolina, Bro, uh, Brody? Yeah, no, uh, what's his name? He, who left LSU? He went from LSU Joe to something. yeah. I, I'm, I'm throwing a blank on it myself right now, but uh, yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Anyway, but he got every. It, it, I mean, that guy at quarterback Burroughs had an incredible year, and that was because of that coordinator. Now he, and now he's playing with the confidence, all the confidence in the world. Burrow, he's he's playing really good, man, and he he looks like the real deal. You look at. Um, Trask and he'll probably never play with as good a collection of receivers when he goes to the NFL. It just, you know, you have to adjust to the speed and the fact that you're a high draft pick, you're going to probably a pretty bad football team. Mm. So you better have some people that can, can help you. That's why they're, they're on the kid in New York. You don't have any players around him. You know, you gotta have, you gotta have players around these guys. Well, you had, you had great that. talent. You had that. They kept adding players as you got. And, and I yeah, wanted to ask you yeah. about your moment, Terry, because Trask delivered on his moment. He waited all his time, and Georgia came along. Right. And he had right. his moment, and then they had a breakthrough. What was your moment as a player where you broke through and you thought, yeah, this guy's got it? I know you struggled the first, first couple of years there, but when was that? Buddy, moment? I didn't. Buddy, buddy, let me, let me hold you up on that. I didn't struggle. I wasn't struggling. That coach, the coach was just brutal. I, I was just as confident my rookie year as I was when we went in Super Bowl. I lost my confidence. I got beat up and, and hammered by this guy. Um, so, yeah, my it may appear that it was struggles, and I guess that's the best way to say it, but it was a struggle to develop a relationship. <laughs> That was the struggle and have a head coach that believed in you and liked you and tried to protect you and put, I mean, it was just brutal. And I'm, and I get angry at that at times because it shouldn't have been, you know, it shouldn't have been. Um, well, that was that part of the struggle. Part of the struggle hard. was getting past yeah, well, Chuck yeah, and I him get, grabbing I, you by I the face. It, I get it. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's kind of my, you know, the, the Stuck in my craw for all these years. Yeah. So unnecessary. Anyway. I apologize. I didn't mean it that, that way. No, please, please, please. Um, I would I would say probably uh, my sixth year. Wow. Sixth Six year. years. Wow. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, <laughs> and Kyle Trask thought he had to wait a long time. You had six years before yeah. you got your moment? Wow! Before I felt, before I became totally comfortable with, with what they're looking at me, buddy. I gotta go shoot these spots. Go. But you go. Yeah, yeah. Oh, by the way, oh, Joe Brady is the man. Go All right, go ahead. No, no they're Joe. shooting. They're shooting spots now. All right. Um, but it was because the first year as a rookie, then the second year, I they got got me a quarterback coach, and then they fired him. The third year, Babe Perelli. Um yeah, Bay Pirelli. Then the fourth year, it was I got hurt. In the fifth year, it's we had to strike or so. I don't know. It was just God. It's just it was. I, buddy, I can't even begin. The times I would sit in my apartment and go, "Man, you believe this? You believe this is this is this is happening?" You know, I came up here in this godforsaken place and 
with this coach that can't stand me and and this offense that's Neanderthal, as far as I was concerned, uh, it was brutal, just brutal. I was just, it was almost nightmarish. And you now thank God, you know, as a man of faith, I, I survived. God got me through that because, oh, what a low point in your life when you've worked all your life for something and then it not to be uh, enjoyable. Your talents are not, you know, I was a passer. I wouldn't hand the ball off all the time. I was a passer and, uh, and to get beat up emotionally was just why, why has it got to be like this? You know, uh, just a, yeah. That's why when I retired, it was so easy, buddy. Oh, thank, thank you, Lord. Get me out of here. So, a lot of pain anyway, there. Right now, I'm, now, it, yeah. now, I'm got, I got my Bradshaw Bourbon people here, and I feel like hitting the bottle right now. TB, <laughs> <laughs> you're a mess. By the way, it was Joe Brady, and you're right, exactly. So, oh, he's thirty yeah. years old. I thought, so, I, I, yeah, I thought that the Brady. I thought, nah, it can't be Brady, but yeah, okay, good. Kind good. of like Brady Bunch and Bradshaw Bunch. Yes, got it. Yeah, yeah. Right. guys, they're doing a good job there, man. Carolina, they're doing. Good. Who's Florida got this week? They got Vanderbilt. They should win. They're thirty yeah. point favorite, thirty five point favorites. Boy, I, they got the I the road set been. ahead for them, where they should get to the SEC championship game. Now, whether or not well, they can beat Alabama, we'll see. But you know, there's yeah. a lot at stake here, including the Heisman Trophy. You can remember this guy now is right. number one all of a sudden, and everybody's projections, including ESPN's, whatever, uh, he is number one. So he has had that journey. But I don't feel so bad about Kyle waiting. When you tell me it took you six years to get your moment, and he had to wait a couple of years, yeah. not so bad. You do have to wait yeah. sometimes. That's got to be hard. For Buddy, I waited two years in college. I mean, I didn't yeah. jump in college. Mm-hmm. I mean. When it's your time, it's your time, and some some folks that are extremely talented uh, don't ever get their time. They get run out and given up on, and 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 then and in the sports world today, especially football and especially a quarterback, um, you're given up on pretty quickly by people uh, who have no right to be judging whether or not you should, you should be cut. I mean. They don't understand what they're doing. Most of these people don't have a clue. A lot of mistakes. A lot of mistakes made in evaluation. Coach Spurrier says sometimes coaches pick the wrong guys. You know, and you you know that. You had a a revolving door of quarterbacks when you were playing. Buddy, listen. Do you think the NFL's got 32 great offensive coordinators? No. How about three? Hey, listen, those kids kids come out after the game and the – Reporters go, well, why did you do this? And well, why did you do that? And why did you do this? And I wish those players just one time with that luck. Go talk to the offensive coordinator. He called the plays. I didn't call the plays. <laughs> go ask him why it was a stupid play. <laughs> didn't work. TB, did you ever Don't stop and me. think about this whether this way <laughs> succinctly that here you are with all this you went through with and you got four Super Bowl rings? That's amazing. I know. It's just. It is no, it's shocking. <laughs> it, but you're right. Yeah. Who knew? Well, buddy, I got I gotta go. Love this you, TV. Great, but I love you, man. 
Thank you. Good luck Good to stuff. the uh, Gators this week. All yes, right. I think I'll they got it covered. We'll talk next week. Thanks for okay. doing it, Terry. Appreciate got it. it. Thank Take you, care. everybody. Bye-bye. You bet. Bye-bye. It's time now to survey the national landscape. First, we hear from executive producer Andy Billman on Andy's Candies. Then we take a look at what's left of the SEC schedule with Cassidy, the Florida Gators, and, of course, the Vanderbilt game coming up. But right now, it's time for Andy's Candies, and the question we keep asking is, why? Are we ever going to get some jingle in our pockets, Andy? Cleveland Browns wear sunglasses at night. Six and three. Super Bowl. Oh, gosh. I hear this Come every on. week. We're going, folks. I hear this Come every week. Come on board. You talk about delusional. Now, these guys will jump on you. On your show, you don't have to worry about it because uh-huh. you're, you're going to tame audience. But our people will get after you. So wow. they just put up with so much, uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> okay. So let's see what we got here now. Let's see if everybody's good. Uh Let's see if I, Skype is giving me a fit tonight, as you know. Uh, all right, let's see here. Let's see, can you hear? How about that one, huh? Yeah. Uh, yes, that's always hear. important. So uh, It's very, very important yeah. and to everybody out there. You're doing a show. I spoke to let. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I spoke to that. Legendary Brown today, Ernest Biner. Yeah. We talked to Kareem Hunt, and, you know, all is good in Brown's uh, land. You know, we're winning. It's exciting. We're not used to that sometimes, but we're yeah. winning hot. Yeah, playing playing well in college football. Big weekend in in um, my old neck of the woods with Ohio State, Indiana. Big game. Big we're gonna game. go ahead and do Andy's candies in just a minute, but first I want to talk about you because we joke around a lot. You're a serious filmmaker. You've done some great work, uh, and uh, you know you, you're really well known to business. Just just uh, tell folks about. Believe Lynn and a little bit about some of the work you did in SEC Story and 30 for 30. I know it's hard for you to be serious, Andy. I know it's hard for you to be serious, but be serious just for a minute, will you? Well, I will put down my vodka martini and be serious with my Mm -hmm. coffee now. But um, yeah, I did a film in 2016, lucky enough, called Believe Lynn because of John Dahl. And I actually, in about 2000, it was 2011, I took over a film series called SEC Storied. And I worked with people like Charlie Hussey and some of those other guys, Greg Sankey at the time, and um, now God rest his soul, Mike Slive too. And I did films like The Book of Manning. I also worked on a film, Lolo Jones. Um, I did that one. Um, I worked on a bunch of those films in that time period. But obviously, Book of Manning is one of my favorites that that we did. We also did one um, too on the famous rivalry in gymnastics between Alabama and Georgia. That was one of my favorite ones. I learned a lot about the uh, the gymnasts there. And I did a lot of 30 for 30s like Youngstown Boys, The Birth of the Big East, Bad Boys, uh, um, a lot of uh, two Escobars, all those kind of stuff. But I, I did that. I worked at ESPN for 16 years, did the ESPY Awards. And then I decided, I, after Believe Me, my film career kind of changed and I started getting offers and I decided to leave um, in 2018 and I do now I get to work with people like Buddy Martin and you know now he gets to teach me about the Gators while I teach him you know the, the loving spirit of the Browns and he let me tell you something him. son I knew I was I knew about the Browns before you were agreeing your daddy's eye all right I can tell you about I saw how to agree and play all right I know all about that team I know about well, I, uh, I know I know Don you Fleming was a defensive listen look up these guys Bernie Parrish and Don yes. Fleming, two good buddies that played at Florida who were a staple of the defense there for years. Fleming, a tragically, was killed. Uh, on a, He was a lineman in the offseason, a power man, mm-hmm. and he was tragically killed uh, by a live wire 
Bernie was a Gainesville athlete and a walk-on at Florida. Played three sports. I played baseball with Bernie at Florida. Uh, but he played with the Browns for I don't know about a dozen years. Uh, yep. And he was a not he was a, a not a slow, but he was not a fast, but a white guy playing corner. So imagine that. So yeah, I know about the Brownies. Uh, I was there when uh, the drive happened. If you look right behind me, you probably see a thing that says. Right over my head, wait, right there. Hold on a second. I can't see it. I can't. Uh, well, take your glasses off. Yeah, you can't. You couldn't see it. You know what? Who cares? Who remembers about the drive? drive. There it is, right there. That's who was that against? Oh, wait a minute. That was against the Cleveland Browns. Okay. (laughs) Enough. I just like to rip. I remember Brian Brennan scoring the touchdown. I don't remember what happened after that. Yeah, I remember don't. the fumble at the two. I don't remember yeah. anything else. Yeah, you know, I, don't, I don't remember well, anything We live out another time. Let's get you in and get your stuff started because I want to make sure people get to hear. But I think you got an interesting story, and we rarely talk about you and your background, your esteemed background oh, in film. And you and Brendan Martin are teaming up on a few things, yep. which I'm excited about. And uh, really have enjoyed working with you. And uh, <laughs> what's funny is we've never met personally. <laughs> it is the COVID world, though. But um, I do a lot of I like Buddy's been saying. I, we were doing a lot. I'm talking a lot with your son. We're partnering up on a future film here that's coming up, which I'm excited about. And your son's got a lot of knowledge on and background on on mental health and stuff. So it's all going to be exciting, good stuff. And we're partnering up on a bunch of sports ideas. And sometimes, you know, we, you and I too banter about sports, maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit. You know, and have some fun there, too. And, you know, the best thing about Buddy is you wake up and you know you can talk sports. Is um, Buddy and I are very, very similar, Mike, like-minded. You can turn on the phone, turn on the mic, and we're pretty much ready to go about whatever's going on in the sports world. It doesn't take, it doesn't take much. Because uh, you're ADD but, like me. That's the problem. It's true. I mean, just reading about everything, watching a little bit of the Seahawks game before I came in here. 7-7, that's a big game for um, they were just talking about that for Martin tonight. It's a big game for the Seahawks. Need that right, game. Before we, get so that's the, the kind of stuff. before we get in the games, I want people who want to get a piece of you, okay? Ready. Lauren Meadows and Dayton, our good buddy, member of our Lighthouse yep. crew, good friend, former coach Low Ball one time in his life. Tell Andy I'm having Marion's for dinner tomorrow. Ooh. Marion's Pizza. Tell, I remember this tell guy. Tell him what that is. Marion's Pizza is a famous pizza place in Dayton. And if you ever go through Dayton on 70, Stop at Marion's. There's several locations. They are known for their hamburger pizza. It is some of the best pizzas. Very thin, thin sliced, like a flyer sliced, and it's really, really good. And I remember that gentleman. Oh my gosh, Marion's Pizza! It's one of the best. I, I live right down the road from Pepe's Pizza in New Haven, which is rated number one in the country. Mm. Marion's is on that level. It's really, really great pizza. Yeah, day I should tell folks you live in Connecticut. By the way, uh, the producer of this show. Right about now, if he's watching, he's pulling his hair, watching you with a flashing light across your face, saying, Good. what is he doing? Good. <laughs> Good. Brendan, drink Gatorade. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, you got to get your man. energy, Brendan. You got yeah, a show to sure. produce, I believe, tonight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah well, <laughs> I can get through this. Don't um, worry about my light. One other comment was, uh, I believe it was Susan who said, oh, yeah, Susan says, Bernie Kosar was her favorite Cleveland quarterback. Oh, me too. When I grew up, I grew up in the era where um, Boomer Esiason in Cincinnati and Bernie were going at it every year. And it was a big competition because you were either a Bernie guy or a Boomer guy. And Bernie being from the Youngstown area, too, and Boardman, oh, my gosh, he was beloved. And there's a bigger story, which I guess you should tell on your your show one time. 
He was drafted by the Browns in a supplemental draft, and Ernie Acorsi, for those who know, legendary GM, was the GM of the Browns. He pulled off one of the biggest heists to get Bernie Kosar to come to Cleveland through the supplemental draft. It's too long to tell, but it was he was supposed to go to the Oilers or then the Vikings, and the Browns made some moves and got the hometown kid to come from the U to come to the Cleveland, and a lot of... Let's just say a lot of NFL brass, especially from Houston and Minnesota, were not happy with the Browns. So they yeah. pulled some strings, like to say. All right, we're going to do something we've never done. We're going to actually do your segment for the podcast right here. I'm going to do the <laughs> intro, so it won't make a lot of sense to some people. What is this all about? But this is the podcast we got scheduled for tomorrow, uh, and Andy does his segment. So if you're ready, Maestro, I'll introduce you. Yes. And um, we'll talk about Andy's Candies. It's Andy's Candy's time, and we're going to talk about, among other things, some games to look at, uh, and we're going to look talk about uh, uh, some maybe a pro game. But first, how about singing for us, which you do ad nauseum, drives me crazy every <laughs> week when you come up with a song. Do you have a song? I, oh, my. Do I have a song? Do yeah. I have a song? Well, they can't see me, so I'm going to sing another song. They can see bum, you. Bum, bum. Another one bites the dust. Bum, bum, bum. Another one bites dust against the Browns. The Texans gone. Philly next. Another one bites dust. The Browns six and three. Hey, the Browns are going to the Super Bowl too. Another one bites dust. Everybody come on into the candy shop. The Browns are going to the Super Bowl. I know you think it's fool's gold. Don't don't look over at Baker and his passing yards. You watch Chubb and Hunt. You watch the Chubb and Hunt show. You come on down to Andy's Candies. You get You get a seat here. No one's going to bite the dust this week. Philly's gone. They're gone. We're taking oh, out the garbage. We just lost our audience. They all dropped off. We're, we're, ta- we're taking out the garbage. Andy the thinks Eagles. he's uh, taking out the garbage. American Idol when he does this, and I keep telling him, no, but he does like to sing, so he wants I to sing about his brownies. So, All right, so let me give you one. How now, Brown's cow? <laughs> okay. Look, so it's, it's it's what's it? We don't win much in Cleveland in the last twenty years. This is exciting. Six and three excitement in Cleveland. It is really exciting. Miles Garrett running around. Oh, oh, exciting time. Well, uh, there's a note from you from Scotty Lutz says, "Don't jinx your Browns, Andy." All right, so continuing on with our podcast here, where we pick games every week. You picked them last week. Do you have any idea how you did? Two and two, two and two. Hmm. So. Do you have any idea how you are on the season? You're not below five hundred. I am I right that. now thirteen and seventeen. Thirteen and seventeen. But we we've we had some early candy corns, but we have bashed through that. We we had some Godava weeks a couple weeks ago, three and one. And this week I'm feeling very good. I like these games this week. I like these games. I got four of them for you. Four. All right, let's roll out the, the we need some kind of drum roll. Let's I got one over. Hold on a second on sound effects. No, that'll do. All right, we'll we'll go with that one. Go ahead. I want to do two quickies. This is for all the Florida fans out there. Clemson is 35 and 0.5 favorites at Tallahassee. Boy, when I was growing up, you would never think that would be possible with Bobby Bowden. But, boy, there we are, 30, 35 and a half. Woo. Oh, 66, aren't they, or something like that? The 66 is the over, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, buddy. I love the Tigers. Take the Tigers. I think they're going to roll. Um, they are coming off a bye. Lawrence is back. I think they're going to – I mean, if you're a Knowles fan, I apologize. I think they're going to get smoked. I love the Tigers in this game. The other one, quickly, Bedlam, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma. Oklahoma's been playing much better lately. 
take the Sooners at home. They usually play much better in this. And actually, in historical, for everywhere I've been born, Oklahoma's always better than Oklahoma State. So you just take that in mind. They've been playing much better under Lincoln Riley since the Red River game when they won that. Take Oklahoma. You're only giving up seven. So giving up 35 and a half, and you're giving against Clemson, but you still take them on the road, and you're giving up seven. Those are my first two with Oklahoma and Clemson. All right, Andy Billman with Andy's Candies. Thanks very much, Andy. I want to thank all our people that make this possible, by the way. Mm-hmm. It's a podcast show, including Andy's Candies. That would be Gator Bait Lighthouse Builders, Truth, Honor, Dignity, Dr. Jim Duke, Sissy Long, Lauren Meadows, Jeffrey Melden of Melden Law, Max Steen, former Gator captain, and Jeff Ulmer of the Ocala Quarterback Club. Mike McGinnis, captain of the quarterback club, also rinsed our medical research. Andy Billman, Andy's Candies. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate I got two more. I got oh, two. Oh, more. you got Hold two on. more. I got two more. Hold on. We we haven't talked. Oh, we haven't. See, I, see, I, I know I'm in the South. I know I'm in the South. But we'll, let's talk about the Big Ten. We got two big, big, yes, big we do. Ten games. And a Big Ten involving Indiana, which is even weirder. Yes. Yes, which is not basketball. When I was growing up, it was usually basketball between Knight and Randy Ayers. They played a couple of big matchups in the 90s. But this is football. I actually like Indiana to, to cover the 20 and a half on the road. I don't think they'll win. Justin Fields is having an amazing – I know everybody talks about Trask, and he deserves it. Justin Fields has been playing just as, just as good. I like Indiana to cover. You're, get, you're getting 20 and a half. I think they're going to cover that. They'll lose by 10. So get, you take that. They're not going to win, but you take that. And finally, Wisconsin at Northwestern. I think Wisconsin is for real. I love Mertz, the quarterback. They are giving up seven seven and a half in Evanston. Take the Badgers. I think they're for real. So Badgers, Clemson, Indiana, Oklahoma. Andy's Candies. Go Browns. Go Browns. Go Browns. I didn't hear a Gators pick, by the way. Well, they're playing Vanderbilt. So what? They give you a line. You get 35 points. Go for it. Uh, Take the Gators. All right. Big. All right. I mean, do, I mean, honestly, you're Mr. Gator. Is there's there's no shot, right? Well, there's, no, let's, let me just say this. We have a little thing right. going here on number of touchdown passes that Kyle Trask will throw this week. Okay. He has six each game the last two weekends. Give me an over under number on that one against Vanderbilt. Mm, I would take the over. I think on what over no, what I, over six on or the touchdown over, passes. I made it five and a half. You want to go over that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they, right. I was, I really, for people who didn't listen to Andy's Canes last week, I thought Arkansas was going to cover. Boy, I was wrong. Um, I, I, I like the Gators and the over, and I like Gators and the Trask over on touchdown passes, too. Both. Good night, Andy. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Have a good, good weekend. We'll talk to you next week on Andy's Candies. Go Browns. You join that bandwagon, people. Mm-hmm. Plenty of room. Marion's Pizza is the best in Ohio. All right. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate it. I believe that's Cassidy right there, and that would be the voice of one Cassidy Hill, the chief correspondent of Gator Bay. Cass, how you doing? Hey, buddy. I'm good. How are you? Good. We're just having Lee uh, McGriff tell his story about the first time he saw Kyle Trask at spring ball, and he and Felipe were going head-to-head, and he was describing what he saw, and he's been a huge fan of Trask from day one. And I know you and I sort of felt like Felipe deserved his shot, and as it turned out, fate had it another way. But, boy, what a year Trask is having. I'm really been, it's been fun for me talking to a lot of these experts like Urban, Terry Bradshaw, what have you, even Shane, about the kind of quarterback they're seeing. And, boy, 
I saw a remarkable thing just a moment ago. And you know how we've talked about Trask and we talked about where he might go and people say, well, he's a third, fourth rounder, fifth rounder, whatever. You know, and, and it seems like he's moved up. I saw a mock draft tonight. Not that this means anything, but a mock draft tonight that said Kyle Trask would go 13th overall in the first round to the 49ers. How about that? I'd be I'd be nice. Um, I I saw one too that put him at the Saints, and I kind of really like that one too. Yeah. yeah. Um. So. Hey, three weeks uh, ago yeah, we we're it, talking about this guy like he was going to be a fifth rounder. All of a sudden now he's talking about top fifteen. You know. Right. I, and I think he's always had the the tools to do it. It's just people really kind of doubted him. Um, just because of his his background and his history, you know, we've known we've known about Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence since they were in high school. We've been following their career for long before they were ever even in college, and so it's it's always been sort of expected that the two of them would be here. Um, Kyle Trask, it hasn't been, and so I think it took people a little bit of time to catch up. Now that being said, could some people be jumping the gun? Possibly so. He needs to finish out this season before uh, we really make a bl- all these assur- assurances. But I do think he has um, earned and deserves all of this attention and, and accolades that he's getting. But it's not us doing it. It's people from the outside are suddenly saying it. If we were saying that, would be understood. Mm-hmm. These are people who are not even close to yeah. being around here. They're the ones doing all the I- saying. And so, I mean, you never know. I mean, I'm just saying – his, his stock is just like a jet taking off all of a sudden, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and now the, the gates, as I wrote in my column, uh, the orange and blue sea at the swamp parted and Kyle Trask walked through with all the other games canceled and had center stage and delivered, you know, and people are getting, I mean, Terry mm-hmm. Bradshaw's raving about the guy, you know. So I don't know, mm-hmm. a lot of stuff going on there and stuff. You know, people tend to fall in love with players and out of love, but it took him a long time to get around to Kyle Trask, didn't it? Yeah, and, you know, I think um, – or I have the Central Michigan game on on ESPN here and uh, watching the fighting Jim McElwain. Yeah. And at halftime, they went to the studio, and ESPN uh, analyst there – I'm. I know who it was, but I'm blanking on his name right now. Um, but he was saying that Kyle Trask is his Heisman leader, even ahead of Mac Jones, because of the touchdowns, and that you know he was he was really just raving Florida's offense and, and about how it goes through Kyle Trask. And um, he made the comment. He showed a couple of different plays on how Florida can just straight up beat you one on one, like with Kyle Pitts. And then they can motion out uh, Kimor Gamble and throw a touchdown to him and just play with you just because it's fun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah, the offense is great. I mean, Bottom was on Feinbaum today talking about this stuff. And, uh, you know, know, he's not pushing. He really is a pushing Trask. I mean, when given the opportunity, he will talk about him and say what he likes about him. But he's not campaigning for Kyle Trask to get the Heisman because some coaches think that's rat poison, you know, when you do that. But uh, 
So right. it's just a good thing right now. A lot of stuff going. Well, what's going on on the beat? You've been bouncing back and forth. Let's talk about you. And and uh, we got a chance to talk to today to uh, the defensive coordinator, uh, and and he is uh, he's got a little different view of things. How was it yesterday? Uh, we talked to him and, and Todd Grantham, and I asked him a question about if he thought the fans understood what he was trying to do on his defense. Not that I do, but I mean, uh, and what did he think on a scale of one to 10? Uh, what, what would the average fan think of understanding his defense? He said about a five. Um, and then he educated us a little bit about telling us what, and then I asked the question, I said, would you call us a high risk, a risk reward defense? He said, no. No, I, I would call it a calculating defense base. And he talked about the zone and blitzing from the zone. And some of the people I talked to said the problem is he's not blitzing enough. He blitzed more out of that before. Anyway, interesting football yeah. talk, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and Todd Grantham's always interesting. I think he – it's sort of like Muschamp, which is really just a defensive guy. Maybe it's a, a quality of defensive guys. But people see him on the sideline and think, you know, that they're that they're this one fiery, always upset way. But then you get them off the field, and and they're very calm. Um, I think Todd Grantham is, and I felt I felt the same way about Will Muschamp. Two of the more interesting people to talk to, um, just because they're they're very X's and O's like oriented. That's their mindset. But you you learn so much just from listening to them, and I always feel like I walk away from um, listening to Todd Grantham and and I understand the game better. Now some fans may think that, that that's not possible because how you know Todd Grantham himself doesn't understand the game, but I really don't think that's the case at all. And this is not me just defending Todd Grantham to the nth degree, and this is not me ragging on fans, but I do think there is a lot more that goes into the decisions and the plays that he calls and the decisions he makes than we may realize at first. And when he explains them, it's fascinating because it's like, oh, well, that makes complete sense. Why didn't I think about that during the game? Well, because I'm not getting paid millions to be a defensive coordinator. Hmm. Um, And and so it it really is interesting to listen to him. And I know you're writing about that tomorrow, so I, I hope Readers uh, look forward to that and give it a look because, uh, you know, there's always something to learn from those guys. Well, as long as we're talking about it, let's talk about what you're writing tomorrow. Okay. I'm writing on um, essentially the, the selflessness of this team and how it can be a building block for a championship, but looking particularly at Trey Grimes and Justin Shorter. Those two guys play the same position. If anybody, they would have reason to be upset that the other person is there and taking some of their snaps. But Trey uh, Trey Grimes has kind of been one of those names that even when he was in high school was a big deal. And Justin Shorter told us the other day that when he was in eighth grade, he used to pull up Trey Grimes' high school highlights on YouTube and watch them. And so he's always been a fan. Um and it's just kind of cool to see that they're now playing here together, especially the fact that they both took a route through um, 
powerhouse Big Ten program mm-hmm. to get here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like I said, they play the same position. They, they could be upset that somebody else is taking their snaps, but yet you see, like on Saturday night, for example, when Justin Shorter got that touchdown, Trey Grimes was so happy for him. He ran out on the field yeah. so quickly that he got a flag yeah. for unsportsmanlike conduct because he forgot to grab his helmet. Um, and so, you know, that's just kind of the relationship that they have, and that's the that's the attitude that the coaches have asked their entire team to have, and uh, the guys have responded. Well, good point, and I wanted to make this point before we get you to do your around the SEC, look at the around the SEC, uh, what we have left of it. They're one game cancel, of course. Uh, I like the way he responded to his touchdown. Uh, he was shorter was so cool. I mean, he was you know he didn't jump up and down and make a big. He just took mm-hmm. the ball and handed it off and walked back and somebody gave him a high five or a hug, whatever. It's probably Grimes. He handled himself with dignity. And then when I heard the story about his mom throwing passes to him. A hundred a day sometimes, and she had a gun. I thought that was so neat. And I got thinking about all the people who have done things like this, and we know now that, of course, uh, Kyle Trask's girlfriend, Jada, uh, she catches the ball a lot. Uh, Bradshaw told me today, and this will be in the podcast, he didn't have anybody to throw the ball to, although he had two brothers. They didn't want to, they didn't really want uh, to play catch. This is what gym rats of football want to do, play catch. And then he would do things like setting up stakes in his dad's garden, his dad's garden, and throwing it at stakes. He would bounce the ball off of his ceiling at nighttime just to bounce it off, and he always put brown shoe polish on it. And his ceiling had brown <laughs> spots all over it, you know. And I remember when I was a high school player one summer, I didn't have anybody to work out with, and I was a punter, among other things, and I would punt the ball in 100-degree heat and go get it and punt it again. I mean, you don't have anybody to play with sometimes. Sometimes sisters and girlfriends and wives uh, and moms can be a big help. Yeah, exactly. You take who you can get and you never stop. That's the key to getting better. Cassie Hill, she's a chief correspondent for Gator Bait Media, and she has a look at the SEC. What's going on around the SEC? Well, we should hopefully get in more than three games this weekend. It looks like, uh, you know, I think that the commissioner approving um, the rescheduling has helped and, and maybe also um, kind of reminded teams that, that uh, you know, we'll continue to play on without you. Um, I think one thing that's really interesting, and this is not necessarily to do with the SEC, but college football in general, was the college football playoff committee um, announced tonight that they would, they're going to continue forward looking for um, or planning on playing the playoff games on the pre-decided date, which is not that big of a deal. We had a feeling they would at least try to do those dates. But then they also said that if one of the teams chosen after the December 20th seeding day. So December 20th is when the four playoff teams will be announced. If one of those teams, after December 20th, the first game is January 1st and the championship game is January 11th, has a COVID issue and can't play, the game will not be moved. They just won't play. 
And so essentially the team they would be seated against would get a bye. So it would be, say you had Alabama at number one and Florida at number four and Clemson at number two and Notre Dame at number three. I know that's a really weird scenario because there's two ACC schools and two SEC schools, but just stick along with me here. And say Alabama had a COVID issue pop up and couldn't play on January 1st. Florida would automatically get a bye and be advanced to play the winner of Clemson-Notre Dame. And uh, I I wouldn't be surprised if that ends up being changed because that's – that doesn't really uh, speak to competitive uh, fairness, in my opinion. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if that ends up getting changed. But that is the plan as of right now. I thought Dan Mullen on Paul Feinbaum's show was right when they, he was asked about what are they going to do when they have imbalance schedules and you know, cancellations. And he said, we're just going to play on. They'll keep playing yep. and there will, there will be some kind of conclusion to the season. And there will. There will be an SEC championship. There will be a Heisman Trophy. You know, they're gonna, and, and it's not going to be odd scheduling. But, you know, if you're unfortunate and you have to get three games canceled, that's bad luck. But that's the luck of the draw. And this is the only way yeah. you can do it, right? Right. And I'm not I, – I don't think that we'll get through this entire season without having more games canceled. I, I know that there are ten games already canceled or postponed for this weekend. Actually, you're 14. And, uh, uh, 14, I just got an update on. 14, okay, mm-hmm. I've missed some. Um, I, I don't think that that means, however, that the whole college football season is over. When we set out to get through a 2020 football schedule and to crown a legitimate champion, I, I think a legitimate champion can still be crowned. I would want them to play both playoff games, but I think they could still be crowned. But there was – there was honestly never any chance we were getting through this entire season without some changes to the schedule. It was always going to have to be fluid. I just think that you could get through an entire 12 week schedule with, with 130 something teams and there not be in the middle of a pandemic was just the height of naivety. And, and I'm not saying that this is um, an argument for it never should have been played. I'm saying this is an argument for continue on, continue to play just because there have already been 14 games canceled or postponed for this weekend doesn't mean that the 400-plus that have already been played are illegitimate. Um, You know, you just have to get through as much as you can, and that's why even if there's an asterisk with whoever wins this championship, then embrace that thing because you made it through a season that not everyone could, and and that's, that's part of the struggle and that's part of the challenge of this season. And so... If you make it to the end, then you have earned it just as much as any other year, in my opinion. Well, in golf, it's called the rub of the green. And, uh, you know, you have these – what about the hurricane games? Some of them get hurricaned out and mm-hmm. they can't make up. What about the games that have lightning? Some games get canceled. Mm-hmm. And I can't, you kind of have to look at it like that. If one team plays eight and one playing team plays ten or nine, uh, you know, based on your percentage, you have to go with what you got. And you don't have a lot of choice. And look – the, the main goal here, I think I'm right, and this will close, was to get the season started, get some games, get it up and running, and go as far as you can. And we have done that. Yeah, exactly. And that's uh, 
you know, if we can just keep popping along here. I do think if we get to a point where things have to be paused, it needs to be paused across college football, not just conference by conference again. Um, you know, because now that you are getting close to the playoffs, it affects more than just one conference at a time. It affects everyone. So if you know, and I wouldn't even say cancel the season. I would just say pause it. Um, but it needs to be it needs to be NCAA wide. Well, you're assuming there's leadership in college football nationally, and that's just not the case. <laughs> true. Cassidy Hill, true. she always said, brings it every so. week. Cassidy, great to have you on again. Thanks for the SEC roundup, and uh, we'll uh, be talking to you the weekend. And the mighty Commodores will go against the mighty Gators. Florida favored by 30. Thanks to all of these people for making the best Friday in football possible. That's Fridays with an S. Gator Bait Lighthouse Builders, Truth, Honor, and Dignity. Dr. Jim Duke, Sissy Long, Lauren Meadows, Jeffrey Melton of Melton Law, Max Steen, former Gator captain, Jeff Ulmer of the Ocala Quarterback Club, Ocala Quarterback Club, Mike McGinnis, captain, and Rentstar Medical Research. Just a final word about Kyle Trask, the amazing ascent in a short period of time. Out of the mothballs into the fire last season versus Kentucky, into a New Year's Six Bowl win, on to 2020 when he was still flying under the radar, and then he showed up big in his moment against Georgia and again against Arkansas with back-to-back six TD touchdown passes games. Amazing. Six touchdown passes back-to-back. Busting all kinds of passing records. And suddenly he's the leading Heisman Trophy candidate. I mean, he comes from nowhere into the spotlight as the number one contender for the Heisman. Showing up now in mock drafts as one of the first 15 picks, perhaps. Two years ago, he couldn't crack the starting lineup in high school. Is America a great country or what? If you like our podcast, be sure and share it with all your friends. We hope you're enjoying the best Fridays in football with Urban Meyer and Terry Bradshaw. Thanks to our special guests. On behalf of director Brendan Martin and executive producer Andy Billman and Cassidy Hill, I'm Buddy Martin. You've been listening to one of the best Fridays in football on Evergreen Podcasting. Hit Pass Moto, sponsored by Moto America, is the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. From candid interviews with the top names in racing to providing insights into the trends and trendsetters driving the motorcycle industry, we have you covered. New episodes are available every Thursday at pitpassmoto.com and on your favorite podcast app. Ride on.